0: Pastor Saxton Odom here, so thankful that you have decided to join in to wine on the Church of God's podcast today. We pray that this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and draws you closer to God. God bless you today is our prayer as you listen. Chapter 11 in your word today, verse 32, and then we're going to be at the beginning of Romans chapter 12. As I said, I've been preaching the whole month of August on the power of the gospel. And at the beginning of this month, the Lord just kind of dropped in my spirit about the number eight in the Bible. And the number eight being the number of grace and new beginnings. And so I asked the Lord to give us eight souls in the eighth month. And we're still praying for that, and we're witnessing and testifying that the Lord would let us see as a church family, maybe not in the building, but even outside in our workplaces and other places, eight souls saved. And how many know that the Word of God never returns void? Amen. But it always accomplishes that that it should should desire. Hallelujah. So we're contending for that. Keep witnessing, keep testifying. If you will stand on your feet with me this morning, Romans chapter 11, verse number 32 is where we're going to be at today. Going to verse, chapter 12, verse 2. Just a few verses this morning. It says, For God has committed them all to disobedience, that He might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become His counselor, or who has first given to Him, and it shall be repaid to Him? For of Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Chapter 12, verse 1. This morning I want to focus primarily on chapter 12 verse 1 and talk to you on the subject of a living sacrifice. Everybody say that with me. A living sacrifice sacrifice. Amen. Will you stretch your hands toward heaven and let's pray together today. Father we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together in your house with our brothers and with our sisters. Lord we just approach your word today so uh, wondrously. Lord even as Paul declared who has known the mind of God. Oh the depth and the riches of who you are as our Lord and as our God today. And Lord we pray that praise would erupt from our lips, from our hearts today as we do consume how marvelous your love and your grace and your mercy is in our lives. But Lord, even more so, the power that you have given us to please you and the power that you have given us to live holy and righteously in your sight. And Lord, we pray for the anointing of the Spirit to be unleashed in this house, both not only on me, but on the hearer as well, and that we would be glorified in Jesus' mighty name. And we give you the praise. And everyone said, Amen. Will you give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're seated today? Oh, come on, we can do better than that on the last Sunday of August. Can we give the Lord a good hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. So Romans chapter 12 verse 1, how how can we end out this whole book of Romans preaching on the power of the gospel? Romans chapter 12 is not the end, it's really just the beginning of the end of so many wonderful things that Paul teaches us in and through the Word of God. He tells us about our problem, he tells us about our rescue, he tells us about how we should leave sin behind, make a clean break with sin, not become slaves to death any longer, but become slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, to pursue righteousness. Last Sunday, I preached to you about how you were chosen in spite of your DNA, in spite of uh, the fault and the flaws of the person you are and the family that you come from, that God has still chosen you to make His glory known throughout the earth. And then today, I'm going to end this out on a living sacrifice. What does the Lord expect from us in light of all that He has? has done for us through the name and through the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what does Romans tell us that God expects from us? Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In the King James Version it adds the word, the beginning, therefore. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Anytime that you see a word therefore, you should always ask the question, what's it therefore? What is therefore therefore? What is the purpose of Paul saying that? And the purpose of this therefore, Paul is using to serve therefore as a conclusion mark for the whole entire letter. In other words, he's telling the readers at the Roman church, I'm winding this up. After this extensive letter, they didn't have chapters back in the Bible. Whoever put the Bible together originally divided it up into chapters so that we could better find scriptures and things. But Paul did not write chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. It was just and whole entire expanse of letter. And so Paul is giving a conclusion statement. He's saying, I'm winding what I'm saying to you up. I'm winding this letter up. And after about three hours today, I'll wind up what I'm saying to you. Amen. You can laugh. It's, we're in church today. Amen. Amen. No, hopefully after about 30 minutes, I'll wind up what we've been talking about over this whole month. Paul is saying also all that I have said up to you now I'm recalling to your remembrance as you get to this point to where I'm fishing to conclude what I'm saying I want you to remember everything that I've said. Look back. So when we look back into the preceding verses of scripture that we started with in chapter 11 verse 33 Paul begins to praise the Lord at the subject of mercy. Paul begins to break out in praise in his Letter, and he begins to say, Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are your ways past finding out. For who can know the mind of the Lord, or who has counseled him? And I'm reminded specifically of Job, whenever God came down to Job, and Job was questioning God about matters of life, and God said to him, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I told the see to come this far and to stop and when we continue to think about and to think on the goodness of God's riches and mercy and grace our hearts should well up with praise for what he has done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior I said this on Wednesday night and I'll say it again you understand through the lens of how you value the cross of Calvary how you should praise what does that mean, Pastor? That means if you're just uh, haphazardly uh, absent-minded about what Jesus did on the cross for you, you won't praise Him a lot. But if you really value the sacrifice of God's Son on the tree that was cursed, if you really value what Jesus did on the cross, then there should always be a praise in our heart. Amen? There should always be a praise on our lips. We should always continually be thanking God for... For the grace and the mercy that was handed us down from Jesus Christ to us. Why? Because at the end of the day, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would have died and we would have went to a devil's hell. We would have spent eternity there. But Jesus stepped in. Hallelujah. Jesus stepped in and made a way where there seemed to be no way. He laid the cross down over the chasm of hell and heaven. And he said, if you'll come this way through me, you can make it to an eternal place of joy and bliss and place where you will abide with me. Jesus paid it all. All to Him we owe. Hallelujah. Sin had left a crimson stain but He washed it white as snow. When we think of what God has done for us through Jesus, we should praise Him because He has done mighty, mighty things. Verse 36 says, For of Him and through Him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Amen of Him. Everything that was given of Him. Salvation is a work of God and not of man. You and I cannot work our way to be saved. You and I cannot work our way to find grace and mercy in the eyes of the Lord. So everything that God has ever given through Jesus Christ comes from God down to us. It is a free gift of God, but guess what? It's also a free gift through God. It's not a free gift through man. It's a free gift through God. God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. God knew that man could not accomplish this free gift and so He sent a piece of Himself. He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus the Savior who existed before time. Jesus the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God sent His Son so that through Him the world might be saved. So it's not just of Him, and it's not just through Him, but Paul says also to Him. Everybody say to Him. To Him are all things. What is the reason He sent His Son? For Himself. Jesus sent His Son so that we would be reconciled back to the Father. So that we could continue to breach the barrier that had been created, the expanse that had been created by sin so that we could once again be reconciled back into the glory of God and we could display and show that glory through our lives. So it's not only of Him, it's not only through Him, Paul says, but the reason for it all is to Him. To Him are all things. Everything that has ever been done, not just spiritual, but physical, is all for Jesus. Hallelujah. And Paul says, To Him be glory forever. Amen. Men. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says, to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted in the beloved. My question to you today is, do you really understand what Jesus has done for you? Do you really understand it? And if you say yes, then why aren't we showing it? Because we should be people of not of platitudes, people not of pontifications, people not of opinions, people not of necessarily persuasion or pervasiveness, but we should be people of praise if we nod our heads in acknowledgement that we receive what Jesus Christ has done for us, then there should never be a moment in our life where the Lord Jesus Christ is looking over and saying, where is your praise? If you don't praise, these stones will cry out for you because when you understand what Jesus has done for you, to Him be the praise of my life. Hallelujah. To Him be everything that is ever anything good in me. Back to Jesus Christ. That the Lord would receive praise. Everybody say praise. And the good question of if you're knowing and valuing what Christ has done is if you're a person of praise. Now, I'm not just talking about in the church this morning. It's great to praise the Lord, and we should praise the Lord in the church. The Bible instructs us to in Psalms chapter 100 that when we get together to praise the Lord in so many ways. Praise the Lord on the tambourine. Praise the Lord with the sounding brass. Praise the Lord with the high sounding cymbals. Praise the Lord. But then he goes on to say, Praise the Lord, all you His saints. Are there any saints in the house today that are thankful to be blood and blood and blood redeemed. Hallelujah. We should praise the Lord in here, but we should not just relegate our praise to the church building on Sunday. Amen. Our praise should be continually, all the time. And the fact that Paul can't not figure out the goodness of God, that he says, oh, what are your ways of past finding out, causes him to glorify God all the more. See, there's a difference between an unbeliever and a believer. The unbeliever says, I cannot understand God, so I'm going to persecute Him. But the believer says, I can understand God, so I'm going to praise Him. The believer says, I can understand God, so how mighty He must be. How awesome He must be. How holy He must be that my mind cannot understand all He is, so I'm going to praise Him. What am I going to do? I'm going to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. When we understand the greatness of God, we worship Him more passionately. So the question this morning, again is do you understand what God did for you through the cross of Calvary today? Do you understand the price that was paid so that you could sit in the room today. So that you could hear the Word of God. So that you could give in tithes and offerings. So you could lift up your voice and praise. So you could lift up holy hands and worship to the Lord. Do you understand the greatness of God? And if so, you'll worship Him more passionately than you ever did before you became into the knowledge of that understanding. And finally, Paul gets to Romans chapter 12 and 1. He says, therefore, in other words, now then, after all these things, now then, this is about putting into practice everything I've just told you. It's about uh, contemporary practical application of your life, of everything that I have told you from Romans 1.1 to Romans 11 chapter 36. Therefore, I. You see, the Word of God was never meant for us just to approach as words on the page. But rather, it was meant for us to apply to our lives and to begin to live out the truths from the words, on the page that God has given to you and to me, we should put into practice everything that we find in the Word of God, and everything that we have found here in Romans chapter 11 and every, 1 through 11, and everything we're going to find from Romans chapter 12 to Romans chapter 16. In other, Paul, in other words, Paul says, "Now that you have this knowledge, do something with it. Now that you have this knowledge, don't just sit on it. But do something. If I gave you a prophecy today that whenever you got home, every house in your neighborhood, the fire would have been kindled and started, but you had ten minutes to get everybody out of the neighborhood before their fire, homes burned down in fire, what would you do? Well, if there was any ethical value in you at all, if there was any morality about you at all, you would go to each and every neighbor you had that you knew their house was going to burn down, and you would begin to say to them, get out, there's a fire in your house. Get out, there's something about to happen to you. You would put into practice the knowledge that you had just heard. So the question is, why don't we put into practice the knowledge that we have been given through the Word of God? The Word of God is surer than any man-made prophecy or surer than even the prophetic inclinations that people have today. The Word of God is proven. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is sure. So why don't we do something about it? I got one amen on Sunday morning, August 29, 2021. What are you doing with what you know? Is it just knowledge for knowledge's sake? Or is it knowledge for application's sake? Are you just trying to learn everything that you can about the Word of God? Or are you putting it into practice? And so Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That word in the Greek is the word parakleo. It's got a three-part meaning. It means to beg, to exhort, and to comfort. It's the word, one of the words from which we get the Holy Spirit, paraclete, that is given, that He is the comforter. He is the one that we can lean on so Paul is saying I beg you now what would make Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees Paul who studied at the feet of Gamaliel the great Paul who was a persecutor of the saints until he was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and then became a, an apostle to the Gentiles. What would make Paul the great missionary? What would make Paul the great father in the faith say to someone, get down on his knees through this letter and begin to beg? What would make Paul beg for us to do? Well, the following statement that Paul is fixing to give. But this is not a be- just a begging. This is an exhortation This is a strong instruction. This is not some weak watered down thing that somebody would say you might need to think about doing. But Paul is saying, no, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I exhort you. And then Paul is saying, but I also comfort you. Though I beg you and though I exhort you, there's a level of what I'm fixing to tell you that is comforting. And so this is the level of the Holy Spirit that we have, that I told you a while ago that where this word leads into the word paraclete, which is the word for the Holy Spirit. Paul is telling us that everything that we do from this beseeching, from this begging, from this exhortation, must be done in the power of the Spirit. Not in the power of man, not in the power of the church, not in the name of religion, but in the power of the Spirit. He is the only one that can comfort you to a place of being a living sacrifice. Paul is appealing to our will. He is reminding us that it is our choice to live for God, but that we have help. Notice he said, did not say, I beseech you therefore pastors, or I beseech you therefore teachers. But he said it to the whole church. He said, I beseech you therefore brothers. And for you ladies, it's sisters too, amen. Brothers and sisters, I beseech the whole general assembly of the Lord God Almighty. I beseech you all, therefore, brothers, it is your responsibility to do what I am about to tell you. But guess what? You've got help. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got help. What is my help? He says, "By the mercies. Of God I beseech you therefore brothers and sisters not in your own strength not in your own self not in the strength of some other man or woman but I beseech you by the mercies of God how do we begin to be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to the Lord we do this because of the mercies that God has always already shown to us we live as a living sacrifice for God out of a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has already provided for us from Romans chapter 1 to now Romans 11 and 36 and we are only able to be a living sacrifice after God's mercy has worked in us and worked on us. We cannot be a corrupt sacrifice. We cannot be an unholy living sacrifice. But it is only through the mercy. It is God, my brothers and sisters, who commands us to do so, but take joy. We can never do it. The Old Testament tells us that. The law proves to us that. That we can never add up ourselves to the extension of the law. So it's not only God who commands, but now it's God who empowers. Hallelujah. It's God who gives us the mercy. It's God who gives us the power to do so through Jesus and through the Spirit that He has given us. Some of the mercies Paul has described thus far are justification from the guilt and penalty of sin, adoption in Jesus and identification with Christ that we're placed under grace and not law that we are given the Holy Ghost to live inside of us that we are promised help in all our affliction are you listening today? that we are assured of being chosen what I preached on last week that we have a confidence of the coming glory in God and that we have a confidence and no separation hallelujah from the love of God and then lastly we have a confidence of God's continued faithfulness throughout the ages. When I think of the mercy of Jesus, my heart does what Paul says, and I just say, Oh, what mercy the Lord has shown to me, and who am I that you are mindful of me? Hallelujah. We must believe that this mercy, these mercies, have persuasive power over our wills. If we don't and are not thankful of the mercy of God, then we'll continue to live outside of it. But when you are thankful for the mercy of God, you continued to live under that persuasive power that God's mercy has to you. What are you saying, Pastor? In other words, when you want to do something wrong, and all of us do, we're all tempted, right? We're all tempted to do things we know are not right. When you want to do something wrong, but you think back on how good God's been to you, you think back on how He forgave you for this, you think back on how He restored your life. Maybe you were like the people on the show and on the movie rather or, or clip while ago that you were a person of drug addiction or alcohol addiction or you were a person that was not well looked on in life. Maybe uh, all your life you were a swindler or an extortioner. When you think back on God's mercy, for you then, when you think back on how He gave you healing when you did not deserve it, when you think back on how He gave you a wife or a husband and wonderful kids when you do not deserve them, when you think of all of the mercies of God they should have a persuasion over you that you do not want to neglect living rightfully for Him because He's been too good to go back and allow a viper to bite you on the hand again, just to return, lay it on God's surgical table and say, Lord, I know you've healed this 60 times, but I did it again. The mercy of the Lord should so persuasively empower us to align our wheels with His Word That we get ourselves out of a predicament of living in sin. So he says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present. Everybody say present. Present. So now, we are presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. People who present are priests. And for ladies, priestesses. That sounds like a crazy word, doesn't it? We are priests in and through Jesus Christ. Paul is showing us about the power of the priesthood right here in Romans chapter 12. uh, Verse 1, excuse me. Only the priest in the Old Testament could present a sacrifice to God. You know what Paul is saying? You're not just brothers and sisters, but through Jesus you're now priests. Jesus, the great high priest, went up to heaven and offered up Himself on the altar of heaven once and for all. But now through His sacrifice, now through His blood, He has made me and He has made you to become priests before Him. So I'm not the only priest in the church. Say, Amen. All of us are priests before God. Peter tells us about this in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. He says, Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So now, because of Jesus, the believer is his or her. Your own priest to God. You do not have to go to a Catholic priest and get into confession box and begin to tell the priest your sins. You do not have to go to your pastor and begin to beg them about whatever it is that you're needing the ear of God on. But now, because you are a priest, you're able through the blood of Jesus Christ to walk into the most holy of holy places that only the priests in the Old Testament should have been able to go to. And you're able to say, Lord, by the blood of Jesus, I'm here. By the blood of Jesus, I'm a priest. Hallelujah. And I am here to offer up, to present this sacrifice to you. By the blood of Jesus Christ. The believer does not need a mediator except for our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And so one commentator said, there can no longer be an elite priesthood among believers with claims of special access to God or special privileges in worship or in fellowship with God because all believers are now special priests. And so though I'm a pastor, guess what? I'm not the only priest in the room today. I hold no authority over you in terms of being higher or lower. I'm not nearer to God than you are. I'm not nearer to the heavens than you are. I am equal with you because Jesus Christ has made both of us the same. Just because I'm called to the calling and vocation to be a pastor does not make me higher than you who are just called to serve the Lord in whatever capacities that you are called. But you and I are on a level playing field. And so we should not think that I don't have the access to God like my preacher does. That's a lie of the devil. We should not think, well, I can't get a prayer answered. Maybe my pastor my preacher can. That's also a lie of the devil. The Bible says all of us, everybody say all. All who are under the blood are priests of God. And so now, now that we're all priests, maybe you don't like that because a priest is to a higher standard. Oh, I only got one amen right there. See, we don't like to accept that we're all priests before God. We want our pastor to be the only priest. We want our pastor to be the one that can live right and pray the blessings of God on us. Y'all ain't saying nothing to me on the last Sunday of August. We want our pastor to be our priest. But Jesus said, no, no, no. I came to abolish the priesthood so that everybody is a priest in my sight. And because everybody is a priest, everybody must present themselves to the Lord. Present our bodies. Everybody say bodies. What did He mean by the body? Was it just the flesh? No. He meant the total person, soul, spirit, and body. If you've been here any amount of time, you know that I have a saying that I've said for four years now, that you are a spirit that possesses a soul that occupies a body. Everybody say that with me. Say, I am a spirit that possesses a soul that occupies a body. That's who you are. You're not your body first. Happens to have a spirit and a soul. You're a spirit. You're that part of God that was breathed into Adam. You're the pneuma. That's the eternal and everlasting part of you. You're a soul that has mind, will, and emotions. Ability to make your own choices in free will. And then you're encapsulated in a dirt bag. Look at your husbands, ladies. Now's the perfect time. I give you permission and say you're a dirt bag. You are a dirt bag. I'm a dirt bag. So do we just present our dirt bags before the Lord? No. He said, present the body. What was He meaning? He meant the whole person, soul, spirit, and body. Our bodies are the sacrifice. Our whole person is the sacrifice. We are the priests, but guess what? We are also the offering. We are the priest that brings it before the Lord, but we are also the offering. Just like Isaac on the day whenever him and his father were walking up the mountain and he looks at Abraham and he says, where is the offering? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself uh, an offering. I'm sure Isaac began to think about, oh no, I'm the offering. But thank God a ram took his place, amen. But guess what? There is no ram for you. (laughs) You're the offering. You're the priest, but you're also the offering. You are the sacrifice that is presented to the Lord. God wants you, not just your work. I'm going to say that again and let that sink in. God wants you, not just the work you do for Him. Or the work you do in His name. God wants all of who you are. You see, we can do all kinds of work in the name or for God, but never really give ourselves to God. God is saying, I don't want your work. I don't want your works. I want you. I want you, I want you as the sacrifice. I want you, all of you, I want you to sell out, why does God want my body? See, this concept to ancient Greeks would have been uh, pretty familiar. But they would have considered it unspiritual because they considered the body not spiritual. They considered the body to be separated from their soul and their spirit. And not much has changed in thousands of years. Amen. Because we consider our bodies separate in some instances from our soul and our spirit. Now I'm preaching to myself right here. So we engorge ourselves and our tummies get fat. Y'all say amen. I'm going to go here. I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me too. Or we smoke cigarettes and get ourselves addicted to tobacco. Only one amen there again. I must be on the doorstep of everybody in the house today. Or are we take into our bodies or commit acts with our bodies that the Bible tells us we defiles us when we do so. So now the whole body. Not just my spirit should I yield to the Lord, not just my soul, my mind, will, and my emotions, but even the flesh part of me, the part that we may consider to be the least spiritual of who I am, I am to lay it on the altar of God and to offer myself as a priest as a living sacrifice. What is a living sacrifice? In the Old Testament, when the priest would be given a sacrifice, they always brought it to the priest alive. They always brought it to the priest living. And it was the priest's job to kill it and to divide it. In fact, in Leviticus, you'll find some very graphic images of such a killing and dividing by the priest. The priesthood is not a clean and perfect job. The priesthood is a nasty job. To be a Levite in the Old Testament was a very nasty thing. And guess what? We're all priests. So to be priests is a nasty thing. Why? Because it takes sacrificing something. But now, as a priest before God, you're not sacrificing anything else. You're sacrificing yourself. So literally, in the Old Testament, when they brought up the sacrifice to the priest, the priest's job was to slit its throat and to throw the blood on the altar as a sacrifice before God. Kind of nasty, right? And then to give it to the Lord. It's your job to take your own dagger and crucify your flesh day in and day out. See, we think of a living sacrifice as, you know what, we just give ourselves to the Lord and that's all that matters. No. God says this is a daily presentation. This is a daily offering before the Lord that we are to daily take up our cross and to follow Him. That we are to daily crucify ourselves. And so literally in the Old Testament, they would tie the sacrifice. There were four horns off of the altar. And they would tie the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. You ever heard an old-timer say, grab a hold of the horns of the altar and not turn loose? That's what they're talking about. The horns on that altar in the Old Testament. They would tie the sacrifice to the altar alive until the time that it came for them to sacrifice what they had brought. The priest to sacrifice what they had brought. And you and I are to be tied to the altar. What is the altar? There was an altar that was one day stretched up between earth and heaven. A crossbeam is what some people called it. And they put two nails to the left and the right. And they put a nail at the bottom in a man named Jesus' feet. And in his metatarsals on his hands. And it effectively became an altar upon which the most perfect, sinless, stainless man that had ever lived gave himself as a sacrifice. So when I say tied to the altar, I don't mean tie yourself to the front of the church. (laughs) I mean tie yourself to the cross. The cross of Calvary. Tie yourself, present yourself, offer up yourself, and daily take the dagger. What's the dagger? Now I'm not talking about self-infliction. I'm not talking about self-harm. This is not physical, okay? This is not something we should do physically. And I want to make that distinction because there have been some that, I'll call them in zealous ways or maybe misunderstood ways, have taken Scriptures like these and self-inflicted themselves in the name of God. That's not what I'm talking about. But take the dagger. What is the dagger? The dagger is the Word. Hebrews tells us that the Word of God is powerful. That it is alive that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of soul and spirit in two. So what dagger should I take while I'm sacrificing myself for God? The Word. While I'm there on the cross, get out the Word. Examine my life in light of what it says get out the word Let allow it to cut off pieces and parts of me that are not holy and that are not acceptable to the Lord if you've got a lying tongue allow the word to cut it out I'm about to preach y'all are silent on this son, last Sunday of August but I just felt my help come on me when I stepped up on that stage right there if you've got a lying tongue cut it out if you're a gossiper cut it out if you're a murderer leave your murdering behind if you're a thief stop thieving if you're sexually immoral stop doing it if you're shacking up, move back home with mama and daddy. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I'm about to throw this mic. But put yourself on the altar of heaven and sacrifice yourself. Y'all finally woke up. I thought I was in a Methodist church today. If you're offended by that, I apologize. Hallelujah. Offer up yourself as a sacrifice before the Lord on the altar of heaven. Allow your flesh to die. And then he says, holy and acceptable. One without blemish. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 10 tells us that the offering must have been one that did not have any blemish on it. That it was perfect before the Lord. Our lives are not perfect. Amen. We cannot be except in and through Jesus Christ. So we approach Jesus through Jesus. That goes back to what I was saying a while ago. We approach Jesus through Jesus. And whenever we approach Him with our lives He sees us as no blemish but He also allows His word to cut off any blemishes that may be there holy and acceptable to the Lord hallelujah praise God That was the Holy Spirit speaking to us through a tongue and an interpretation this morning. That His Spirit, God's Spirit, teaches us all things. And He's going to bring them to our remembrance today. Can we give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning for the Spirit of God speaking to us? Hallelujah. That's no simple thing that God wants us to know that today. You see, the holiness we bring to the altar is a decision for holiness. Holiness and yielding to the work of holiness in our lives. This is not a dress code. This is not man's standard. This is God's holy standard. This is not talking about a suit and a tie. This is not talking about a dress or a skirt or hair up to the heavens, a PhD, a Pentecostal hairdo. This is talking about your life being given, yielded, on the altar of holiness before a holy God and allowing God's holy work to be done in your life. And as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, God makes our life holy by burning away the impurities that are there within us. Just as the fire on the altar would burn away the sacrifice, we are continually consumed. Hebrews twelve twenty nine says, Our God is a consuming fire. The song we sang a while ago said, Our God is an all-consuming fire, a burning holy flame, but one that has kindness and wisdom. Our God is a holy fire in the fact that He will not only cut away the parts of you that will not yield to His Word, but He'll also burn out of you every part of the flesh that will not submit to who He is and what His Word says. So if you won't cut it out, God will burn it out. And I would rather cut it out, Brother Chris, than God burn it out. Y'all ever had a, y'all ever had a splinter? I hated splinters. I was, and I'm closing up. Sister Laverne, come to the piano, so I will. <laughs> you know, every Church of God preacher is entitled to the first of the three closings. That was my second. I told you all to begin with, I was closing, right? That's my second, so I got one more. He'll give me five more minutes. That's five, ten, fifteen. Got fifteen more. Splinter, I hated splinters. I was traumatized as a kid because my daddy, well, two things really. He would spit, whenever he was not a saved man, he would spit tobacco juice on wall stings. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And on splinters that were infected and stuff like that. So that was one thing. I always hated how nasty it seemed when they did that. Then number two, if I wouldn't get it, He'd get it for me, and he'd flip out his pocket knife. Any men still carry pocket knives in the room? Brother Bill? our older men do. He'd flip out his pocket knife, and I could just see that flesh. I couldn't see it with my eyes, but I could just imagine it in my mind, that cutting going on and how horrible it was be. So I was traumatized as a kid with splinters. So I learned after a while just to try to get them out myself. But then there came a time to where I couldn't get it out myself or I wouldn't get it out myself because I refused the trauma that I thought it was going to cause and so I continued to allow it to go on. And what would happen? The antibodies in my body would attack that foreign object and it would fester and it would swell. And it was worse due to my negligence than it would have been if I would have brought it to the Father in the first place. I'm preaching to somebody today. If I would have brought it to the Father in the first place and allowed Him to remove it. Such is sin. If you will not offer it up on the altar of sacrifice yourself, it will fester and get worse and worse and worse. And the Father will eventually take care of it Himself. Eventually, Mom and Daddy saw me hobbling along on that foot Or or suck on that finger. And they said, what's wrong? And I said, I've got a splinter. And do you know it was more painful then than it would have been had I allowed it to happen to begin with. Don't wait for God to take it out by fire. Because the fire is more painful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before the fire and they were not joyful over it. They weren't saying, whoo, we get to run into this furnace of fire. They trusted in the Lord for sure. But I'm sure we're all man, and I'm sure there was an element of, of fear that they grappled with as they stood before the fire, because they knew fire burns. Don't allow yourself to get to the place to where God has to turn up the fire in your life to burn something out. Take the Word today. Offer yourself up as a living sacrifice. Cut off those places in you that need to be removed and present yourself before the Lord. Stand up with me if you will. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 went on to say, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I live holy, pastor, in an unholy world? by offering your body up as a living sacrifice before the Lord today. And then when you get around those dirty talking men on the job site, tomorrow. And then when you get around those gossiping women at work, Tuesday. And then when that image pops up on your phone that you had already been freed from, but you, the temptation is there to go back, Wednesday. I'm trying to keep up with my days here. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day. Paul said, I beg you, I exhort you, but also know you've got the comfort of the Holy Spirit through the mercies of God to present as a priest your body, your soul, your spirit, your flesh before the Lord as a living sacrifice, one that is holy, hagias, set apart, set aside, and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable. Service. Paul's saying, I'm not asking you to do something that defies logic, but what I'm asking you to do is possible because of what Jesus has done for you. And then when you do that, that's how you don't conform, but are rather transformed by the renewing of your mind. A sermon like this is tough to accept because it throws responsibility off of whoever you think is in charge of your faith and puts it back on you. Maybe if you thought pastor was in charge of your faith, now you realize you're in charge of your own faith. And so today, leave knowing that you're a living sacrifice and God expects you to be one, but He's given you the power to do it. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank You, Lord, for this crowd of brothers and sisters today that is in the room. Lord, we miss those who are not here. Lord, we thank You for the Word of God. Lord, I thank You for the Spirit of God that has given me the ability by Your power to preach and teach and bring back to my remembrance everything that You've shown me. Lord, I pray today that my brothers and my sisters would not be as the parable of the seed of the sower. Lord, that only not only one in four of them would walk away from this meeting allowing the seed to sink low into their spirit, but Lord, let all of us walk away from the service today knowing that we are living sacrifices, knowing that it is our job to present ourselves before You, knowing that it is our job to take the Word and to cut out things that don't need to be there and not to conform to the world, to this present spiritual system of wickedness, but to be transformed through the renewing of our mind daily in Your Word. Lord, I pray that over each and every person that is here today. I pray for those struggling to live right, Lord, that they would understand that they have the power through Jesus, through His Spirit that has been given to them, to become a living sacrifice, and that they would make the decision that Your mercy would so persuade them that they would live rightly in your sight. Lord, I pray you'd unleash that in each and every life by the power of your Spirit today. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you stream podcasts. To experience other sermons, watch us live, donate, and more. Visit us on facebook.com forward slash Winona C-O-G. Thank you for listening to the Winona Church of God podcast.